Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at a time. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company co-working space focused on helping people pursue their passions and making Edmonton its creative best. Once normal working conditions resume, you're invited to join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations, all dedicated to getting things done. Unit B Coworking is located in the historic McKinney Building on 104th Street, close to everything downtown. For more information, visit unitb.ca. Things keep happening. Um, Nita's laughing, but it's not because she finds it funny. No, the world is not funny. Just the way you said that was funny. Yeah. The um, world seems to be on fire. It's uh, it's just one thing after the other all year long so far. And obviously, I mean, we're, we're aware of what's going on in the world. Uh, as homebound as we've been these past few months. We're still plugged into social media. We still talk to people. A lot has been happening in the United States this past week, specifically in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement. Yes. uh, Both in the States and abroad. Absolutely. And we certainly here at The Read Along consider ourselves to be an affirmative podcast and an inclusive podcast. Mm -hmm. We try to find authors who bring different voices um, to our podcast. Yes. Um, It's not always the deciding factor. No, but it is a factor we take into consideration. Yes. Right? We don't always want to pick... Just white all, dudes. Yeah. We don't want a lot of white dudes. We want a lot of everybody. That said, our lineup of authors thus far has been predominantly white. And perhaps um, that is something that we should take into consideration for our next novel. Agreed. I would I would argue that, that, that this is a good point to maybe just say that outright. Our next novel, we'll, we will find a uh, a black author. Yeah, sounds good to me. Now, we, and I, I don't know if I should necessarily speak for Anita. Certainly, I struggled with whether or not we should even put out the episode this week with everything that's been going on. I know a lot of podcasts have not put out episodes this week because of what's been going on, and I understand why. It, I can see where you're coming from because it can seem, on one end, trivial, and on the other end, a little bit elitist. Yes. <laughs> because we are tucked away in our peaceful community up here in Canada. To, to white people. <laughs> to who white are... people comfortably in their basement yeah. who get to continue with their lives recording a podcast as though nothing is wrong. Except things are wrong in the world right now. Yeah. I've heard a lot of stories about people looking for small escapes when things are rough. Or when things are too much. Or when things are too much. It's nice to... Unplug from the world for a little while and find something else that isn't full of stress and terrible. So we've decided to put out an episode in case anyone needs to sit down with a book to escape for a little while and or sit down with a podcast and make things feel normal. Just for a little bit. Just for a little bit. And, I mean, maybe it's valuable for someone, maybe it's valuable for us just to talk about the book for a little bit and not worry about everything that's going on. I know the world has been stressing me out, so let's not talk about the world for a little while. Yeah. 
I did also find it a little weird that, wouldn't you know it, just like a few chapters ago, we were dealing with uh, a chapter talking about infant loss so soon after that has touched our lives indirectly, that this chapter we deal with the police and <laughs> awkward. But uh, that's kind of where we're at. So with that preamble and us kind of addressing the elephant that's in the room this chapter, let's do a brief recap of chapter 12 in which Beth decides to try to unwind after her busy day with a lavender bath uh, <laughs> and ends up having a very pointed conversation with Dom in which she finally reveals to us, the reader, and to Dom, her husband, her deep, dark secret about why the braids had a friends off with them so many years ago. It turned out to be a petty thing like I thought it was. Yeah. Uh, and it ultimately culminates in a phone call from Flora Braid, which, as it turns out, we will not be privy to nope. as we segue into Chapter 13 of Perfect Little Children by Sophie Hanna. So uh, we don't, in fact, get that phone call from Flora and Yeah, Liz. we were wrong. Well, I mean, we were kind of right. Well, yeah, but we don't actually get to read, hear slash read the conversation. No. So we don't know what was said. And you can't pick up tone from text anyway. So we can only go with the little snippet that Beth gives the police officer later to know what happened. And I have to say, I am disappointed. Well, I mean... What I will say is that we were right in our conclusion, and from the snippet that we get from Beth, we can surmise that the conversation was exactly what we thought it was going to be. Yeah, but... Flora downplayed everything, gave a plausible explanation, Beth didn't buy it, went to the police the next day anyway. I... Mm, That's... I was still expecting us to have a transcript of the conversation with Beth's running over analysis in her head, and I'm a little disappointed we didn't get it, but eh, it's not my book. I well, didn't read it. Well, you did not. We actually jump right into the meeting with the Huntington police the next day, as mentioned. And Beth is a little surprised that she doesn't get an immediate brush off. She finds herself actually talking to and giving a fairly detailed report to, from the sounds of it, one PC Paul Pollard. Yes. Another just completely bizarre name. <laughs> uh, much like Lou Monday, now we've got Paul Pollard. Definitely nothing weird about that. Nope. Either Sophie Hanna is not good with names or we are being punked. Uh, I refer to your earlier theory that this is all uh, the game. game. Uh, the game. She is. She's in uh, the game. Beth recaps the call she had with Flora the night before, saying it was a fairly tense phone call, but both parties were trying to kind of pretend that everything was perfectly normal. Yeah, I believe what she said was Flora sounded like a person talking who had a gun to their head. Yeah, she mentions that a little later in the chapter. Yeah, but, but that's that. That was the tone. Like the that's tone. how tense it was. Yeah, uh, Flora did deny being in Huntington. Uh, as mentioned, assured Beth that she hasn't been back to England recently as well. And Beth actually is presuming here that Flora flew back to Florida just as soon as she was spotted in the car park to help make things a little more plausible. Yes. Again, Beth just inserting her own quote-unquote facts to make this fit. Beth also apparently didn't tell Flora she'd been around to her parents' house or that she'd learned about Georgina's death, because why would that be things that you would bring up in the conversation in an effort to get answers from anybody. Of course not. Yeah. Her rationale is, of course, that Flora would have just lied about all that. So why even bring it up? Or Flora would have just gotten angry and hung up, and then Beth gets nothing. 
actually, Flory getting angry and hanging up is in itself a kind of answer. Yes, but then Beth can't drill her for more information. I mean, from the sounds of it, Beth wasn't able to drill her for much information anyway. I know. It's a no-win situation for Beth. Beth also at this juncture has made up her mind that Georgina is still alive. Uh, and that the braids have misled Flora's parents over her continued existence. Based on absolutely nothing. Yeah. Uh, she has Nothing. She has decided on that based on, from what I can tell, no evidence. Nope. None, none whatsoever. Uh, except for the fact that the braids are clearly trying to hide something. She's positive that Georgina is the chimpy that Flora was talking to on the phone in Chapter 1. But she also admits if Georgina is alive, she's currently somewhere in the wind. Because she's clearly not living with them at the Cater's place. And she's also not on Lewis's Instagram account in Florida. So where could she be? Possibly dead. Who knows? After hearing this story, Paul Pollard admits it is pretty weird. Uh, But there's nothing obviously criminal to investigate there either. Which is... Oh, who called it? Who's got two thumbs and called it? This lady over here. Nita's pointing to herself, but let's be fair. Dom also called it in the book. We win. We called it. There's nothing criminal that she can prove. The police can do very little. Uh, Beth kind of presses and is like, surely this is suspicious enough to at least look into. And Paul Pollard says, if there was a solid lead, like if there was some piece of evidence that was pointing directly at a crime other than just something kind of weird then, yeah, we could look into it. But as it stands, there's not really much. And that's around the time that Beth says, you're brushing us off, but it would be a shame if something happened to those kids. And Officer Paul Pollard is like, whoa, lady, you need to be careful what you're saying, because that could be construed as a threat. Yes. Again, you can't read tone in text, necessarily. So I hope that she didn't say it like that. No, like, she absolutely like, said it like, like that. Like she's some kind of, you know, mafia boss being like, awfully nice kids you have. Be shame a if shame they... if something happened to them. It'd be a shame if those kids burned down. <laughs> Dom diffuses the situation before Beth gets incensed and puts her foot further in her mouth here and is like, look, my wife is not making a threat, but she's saying, wouldn't it be better to be safe than sorry if there are children at stake? Why not, like, even just send someone around to Thomas's school, check with his parents, see if anyone can corroborate any of the stuff mm-hmm. that we've reported. And then you would have something to go with. You'd, you'd have a lead that you could follow up on. Or, or not, and then nothing. And then nothing. Pollard turns the question around on Beth here in an interesting way. He's like, listen, lady, you keep calling the kids Thomas and Emily Cater, not Thomas and Emily Braid. Do you believe that they're the same kids that you saw 12 years ago? And Beth actually has to take a moment to think of her answer. Yeah, because she does, but she realizes that that's impossible. So she sort of does a twisty, justify-y, wibbly-wobbly explanade. Yeah. The impossible Thomas and Emily are impossible unless they're different kids. Yeah. And she does walk up to admitting that she like her initial knee-jerk reaction was like holy crap they're the same kids but she's had time to think about it and realizes that's not possible they have to be different kids and pollard paul pollard seems to be kind of satisfied with that answer good she's not completely off her nut yeah yeah satisfied that she's not crazy he says all right i will send someone involved in child protection around the school to make some inquiries if 
they hear anything that corroborates what you're saying, that'll give us something to go on. He also asks, by the way, did you catch the license plate of the Silver Range Rover? And Beth is like, no, why would I have done that? And he's like, you noticed the birds in the <laughs> in the living yeah. room in their house. But you didn't pay attention to make sure it was the exact same vehicle? Yeah, that might have cleared things. And she, she initially is like, well, it doesn't matter who it belongs to. But he's it like, might. that might have cleared some stuff up. Like, yeah. if it was registered to Lewis Braid, we'd know that he has a vehicle here parked at the Cater's house. If it's... If the two vehicles you saw were different, it would mean we're dealing with two different Range Rovers. Like, as you say, yeah, it might have cleared some stuff it up. It might have mattered. And it's a surprising oversight from Beth, who is super nosy when she gets into people's houses. Right. In Beth's defense on that, I don't think she could have seen the plate the first time. No, but she, she got into the vehicle the second time. She yeah. went rummaging around in its trunk, or the boot, as they call it. <laughs> Arguably, at that point, yes, she should have taken down the plate. Or made note of it or something. Yeah. But she would have had nothing to compare it to yeah. if she didn't see it the first time. I mean, she's also not a private investigator or a sleuth or <laughs> an, an amateur detective. So she might just not have thought of it. Fair enough. We smash cut to about 10 minutes later on the way home. And Dom is actually kind of relieved. He's like, you know what? That went better than I expected. And Beth is not agreeing with him at all. <sighs> As predicted, Beth took it to the police, did not get satisfactory answers, and now cannot let it go. Yeah. Who has the same two thumbs and called it again. This girl. Dom chooses this moment to bring up something odd, he noted, apparently from the night before, but really never had a chance to mention because of the reveal of the cut-up photo and then the phone call. The evening kind of got out of his hands. Uh, apparently, earlier... That day, the Braids deactivated all of their social media accounts. Like, everything went dark. And then about three hours later, everything came back. And as far as Dom can tell, nothing was altered. So it's weird. And he didn't bring it up with the police because he didn't think that it was worth mentioning. Because, again, nothing was changed. And Beth actually catches him out here. Because she's like, have you been... Have you been snooping after the braids online this whole time? Have you been downplaying how curious you are about this this whole time? And she's legitimately a little incensed about this. Having had, as she mentions, many sleepless nights from it. Well, okay. Agreed that she totally called him out on that and she should have. But I think there's a big difference between what Dom is doing and what Beth is doing. Yeah. Dom is cyber snooping after them. Beth is actively invading people's privacy. Yeah. Dom hasn't climbed into anyone's vehicle. No, or Dom gone knocking on their neighbor's yeah, doors. Dom or hasn't gone canvassing neighborhoods. He or hasn't gone to their school and lied, parents. Yeah. and lied to a receptionist. He um, has done none of these things. No. He has simply followed someone on social media. Yeah. That is not nearly as invasive yeah. as what Beth is doing. Dom actually kind of starts to apologize, but Beth just sort of waves him off and is like, well, this shows that they're panicking, right? They don't know what to do. They can't decide if they should scrub everything and hide from us or if they should press on and continue like everything is normal. That's why they called us later in the day. Ah, Beth. Making stuff up. Well, Since several days ago. Jumping to conclusions. Certainly. Oh, she is so good at that. Beth tells Dom she's not exactly uh, optimistic that the police are going to do anything about this. And Dom says, okay, well, whether or not they do, we agreed this is the end. Yes. This is as far as we go. You said, we take it to the police, and that's that. And Beth can't promise him that that is the case. 
I am surprised. And so is Dom, and he is super disappointed in her. Yes. He basically, this turns, this escalates very quickly into a fight between the two of them, into a short fight, but a fight nonetheless, where Dom is like, look, it's not on you to, if if Flora and Lewis are into something, it's not on you to solve their problems. And Beth snaps at him, well, like, what big problems are you dealing with? And he's like, well, you know, our family, like our daughter, like getting our lives, into school, our normal like lives. keeping our jobs and our roof over our head. And Beth is like, you're being dramatic. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry if keeping our family together is, is too, is not an ambitious enough project for you. He's being dramatic? Hello, pot. This is the kettle. Beth retorts that she's very positive their family's just fine and is going to continue on just fine. And just because you have concern over your own family doesn't mean you can't also be concerned over somebody else. Dom doesn't like the answer, but he keeps quiet because he clearly doesn't want to keep fighting with her. Some hills are not worth dying on. Yeah. The fact that Beth recognizes that Dom does not like her answer also twigs her memory back to her conversation with good old Jed Tillotson back at their place, Mm -hmm. where she had brought up mentioning Georgina on the phone with Lewis on chapter six. Yeah. Um, And Jed was like, oh, he won't like that at all. Beth kind of stews on it for a moment. Yeah, she sits on his tone of voice, right? Yeah. And then she brings it up with Dom and is like, the way Jed said Lewis wouldn't like it, it sounded less like Lewis would have been upset to be reminded about the death of his youngest daughter and more that he'd be upset that the facade of his perfect life had slipped somehow. That something was out of his control. Something out of place. Yeah. Dom points out that you're reading into it because the comment does make sense in the context of him being reminded of Georgina's death. Beth is still not certain that Georgina's dead. She's she's fairly convinced herself at this point that that's the case, so she's not so sure. And Dom meets her halfway here, and he's like, all right, I will admit, Louis Braid is a control freak. Uh, his closest friends would probably agree that he is a control freak. No one's going to argue that, but so what? We've known that since the first page of this book. Yeah, we, what, knew, that, we knew that from way back when. Yeah, what does this bring to the table? Because it's boring, and the table is also boring. And <laughs> apparently that is an inside joke. That is and, his peace offering of and, humor. Yeah, Beth, Beth recognizes that and clearly appreciates it. So she lays out her hypothesis here. What if the imperfect little baby Georgina, who was born premature and a little sickly with her wonky eye, just wouldn't do for control freak Louis Braid? What if he got rid of her to hide the imperfection? Beth posits that the chimpy nickname came because he sees her as less than human and that he went around telling everyone that she was dead and then hit her somewhere. And Dom is like, pump the brakes, lady. Right? Because this is a really horrific accusation. She is filling in so much based on so little. Yeah. Wow. Beth says it may explain why Flora mentioned Peterborough when she overheard her on the driveway at the beginning of the book. Maybe that's where they're keeping Georgina. And Dom is like, yes, because people just randomly blurt out the name of where they're calling (laughs) in a conversation. And no sooner has he said that than the phone rings, as so often happens at the end of our chapters. (laughs) Quite. And uh, wouldn't you know it, but it's good old Lou Monday asking if they can meet... 
and have a chat because、mm-hmm. she wants to talk about the caters. Dun dun dun. And Beth is immediately on guard because she gave Lou their landline number, not her cell phone number. Right. But she called on her cell phone, and that is suspicious. Just a little. Yeah, and that's where our chapter ends up. Just a cliffhanger. Yeah. You know. You know, Lou Monday and Paul Pollard, two very normal names from two definitely real people. This is totally of、uh, the game, and whoever wrote the game is bad at naming the characters. <laughs> that's not true. Are we are we still leaning on my the game theory? Ah,、uh, kind of. Now. Before we get any further into joking about the game or not,、um, I will point out that certainly from my perspective, Beth's new hypothesis doesn't explain much of anything. It might explain maybe what happened to Georgina if Georgina is still alive, but it doesn't explain the impossible Thomas and Emily. Nope.、Uh, it doesn't explain why they would have the impossible Thomas and Emily. Right. It also doesn't exactly explain Lewis's attempt at an affair. It doesn't account for Tilly at all. You're right. No,、uh, because like in that chapter, Beth saw that as evidence that Lewis is is a creep and a scumbag. And I mean, sure, but I'm wondering if, as we discussed previously, she's not kind of missing the forest for the trees. She's looking at Lewis's actions, but not at his motivations. Especially because, as we've established, Tilly is so outside the normal woman that he might be attracted to. So again, I'm pointing back to the fact that maybe Lewis is not happy in his current. Perfect, quote unquote, life,、mm-hmm. and that maybe Beth has overlooked that because she's so determined that Lewis Braid is the villain here. Yes. So you're still on that. Flora is, in fact, the scary one, or maybe someone else. Like Flora could also be wrapped up in something.、Mm-hmm. It could be that Lewis and Flora are both in trouble. We don't know. What I'm saying merely is that the the current Georgina theory that Beth has posited for me. Still has a whole lot of holes in it. Oh, a whole lot, and and doesn't solve the fundamental mystery of this novel, which is why are there two impossible children? Two impossible children. Yeah. Something tells me we're not going to get an answer to those impossible children for a while. There's something I wanted to talk through with you、mm-hmm. because I have devoted、uh, not enough thought to this, and I need another brain. Sure. Why is Beth so obsessed with this? And let me elaborate. She thinks she saw something impossible.、Yep. She's convinced she saw something impossible, but instead of giving herself a little leeway and being like, "I must have misseen something," she has latched onto this with all of her very being. Why? Why not just let it go? I've seen people on the street that I thought were my friends, and they weren't. Someone I haven't seen in ages.、And、I'm like, "Oh, nope, that's not them. Never mind. Carry on." It happens. Why latch onto this? So desperately. Originally, I posited that because there's been this theme of losing time and getting older running through the book,、um, that there's an element of it where Beth is kind of just upset that Flora's life has left her behind. Flora's carried on without her. Yeah, and that, and that she's determined that something is wrong because she she wants something to be wrong. She doesn't want Flora to be happy without her. So it's jealousy. But then, the more we've learned about the situation with Georgina, and the more we learned about Beth's reaction to the Christmas card, I'm also wondering if there's a little bit of guilt wrapped up in that, especially because she's now so determined that Georgina must still be alive somehow. 
Deep inside, in her reptile brain, she feels responsible for something happening to Georgina. Despite the fact that, like, that rationally... attacking a picture has actually caused something bad to happen yeah, even to though, a real person? Yeah, even though rationally there's, there's nothing to back that up. Well, that's my problem with it. Rationally, there's nothing there. But, you know, having said that out loud, why did she cut up the picture? Because Flora got pregnant and didn't tell her. Yeah. Because Flora, Flora's life moved on and she didn't tell Beth. So it all still points back to that first one. Beth is jealous that Flora's moved on without her. And she's determined that Flora must be in trouble and can't be happy without her in her life. And she's seen something... That makes a surprising amount of sense. And she's seen something that she can't explain, and she's convinced herself that there's something terrible and sinister going on. And there might be something terrible and sinister going on. Maybe. Let's be clear on that. Oh, that's entirely possible. We should not discount that. Yeah. But I... Yeah, there's always been something a little off about this whole situation. I've never been able to put my finger on it. And maybe you're right. Maybe that's what it is. That how dare Flora move on without Beth. And Beth just fundamentally, deep, deep down, cannot accept that. Beth is Beth is a jealous ex <laughs> who's upset that her former BFF has moved on without her. And I mean... And, and there's that's, layers and layers and layers on top of that, if yeah. that's what it is. And uh, yes, as you say, like I, it's possible Beth is not cognizant that that's the fact. It's possible that we're just reading into stuff because we have not gotten to the end of the story. And as I mentioned, even I believe last chapter, the chapter before, we're, we're starting to see a picture form out of this puzzle, but we're still missing too many pieces. Yeah. And whereas Beth has, de- has decided she's already got enough pieces to tell what the picture is, we, I don't think, agree with her. Uh, no. <laughs> so, There's yeah. too many, too many pieces that don't line up, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You're, well, that's your metaphor reasons, is good. There's too many, too many things missing. That's one of the reasons I keep coming back to that piece about Lewis and his affair is because it's a piece that we can't make fit in the story so far. Yeah. And it seems important because otherwise, why devote a chapter to it? Exactly. And it's an awfully big red herring if it means nothing. Exactly. So, and I think that it's about more than just characterizing Lewis because he was already characterized up to that point. We already had a low opinion of him. Mm -hmm. So why tell the story? Now we have a low and weird opinion of him? Why tell a story about him going after a woman very out of character for him unless that in itself was the important thing Mm -hmm. and Beth just missed it. And Zan is too young to have really caught it. So, I mean, I could be wrong. It could be a red herring that has completely misled me. Could be. I hope not. I mean, by the end of the novel, we'll know what's going on. Oh, of course. On, presumably. Oh, I hope so. so. Goodness. This has an anticlimactic ending. I will be extra disappointed. Well, what about just a vague ending? What no, if that we, would suck too. What if we never find out if it's all in Beth's head? <gasps> I'm not unconvinced it's not all in Beth's head in the first place. Speaking of which, uh, you, before we started recording, mentioned that you might have another harebrained conspiracy oh, theory. And I am very eager to hear it. Wildly irresponsible. I've stumbled onto a major company conspiracy, Mac. How about that for stress? What the hell are you talking about? This company is being bled like a stuck pig, Mac, and I got a paper trail to prove it. Check this out. Take a look at this. Um, a set of illegal clones. You're like we're venture brothersing up in here? Kind of. Yes. And then some. <laughs> so a new Thomas, a new Emily, and another Flora. Oh, there's a second Flora. Yeah. So this is my completely unsubstantiated, highly irresponsible theory. There's two Floras. The Flora that broke when Georgina died, who gets a new Thomas and a new Emily, and a new Flora who's happy again that Lewis took to Florida. There are many holes in my theory. 
Well, yeah, that would, I mean, they would have also had to have cloned Georgina at some point then. Maybe. Probably. I don't know. I can't, like, there are holes. I can't explain Georgina. Yeah. It it might explain why there's a flora in both locations. All it is, all it explains are the impossible children and the phone call from flora. The... It explains nothing else. Well, we know that the caters and flora and Lewis all worked at a high-tech lab at one point. Before Lewis made his inherited his fortune and moved off to Florida. Right? Shady illegal clones. Ah? Huh? It would explain why they would want to keep it quiet. But then why would clone Flora stay in Huntington? Why not get far away from where anybody might no, be able to recognize? Clone you? Flora is in Florida with Lewis. Either way. Real Flora stayed in the UK I've, with the clone children. I've lost track of all the Floras. No, as you should, because this is highly responsible. It's still like it's still if you're trying to keep on the DL that you've cloned yourself, disregarding the idea that you could clone someone and have a perfect replica of them who has all of their memories and, and thoughts. <laughs> um, oh, there's no science involved here at all. No. Uh, why, would you, why would you stay in Huntington? Why would you stay close to where people would be able to know you and would recognize you? you? Why, wouldn't you? why would you not go far away if you want to keep that quiet? Which, by the way, is another hole in the whole story. If the braids are up to something sinister, why would they stay at the house at Whittio Lane where people know that they used to live? True. That is that is just another hole in the story that we haven't been able to explain. So many holes. So, I don't know. I'm not certain that I'm willing to run up on cloning yet. <laughs> cloned kids. Here's the thing. Cloned kids I could buy because they're kids. And assuming that you're dealing with actual cloning, they would still have to grow up from being like... Yes. From being essentially test tube babies. But the idea that they've somehow made a clone of Flora is the is the thing that's like, whoa, we've <laughs> whoa, gone too hey, far. Hold on. Now we've gone too far. <laughs> the only way I can explain it is that there's two of everything. <laughs> like, not impossible, but like you're you're injecting a lot of science fiction into my thriller right now that had not been there before. I am aware. And let's be fair. Well, I called it an irresponsible One theory. of the first things that Dom and Beth discounted from Xana when she was giving off her list of red herrings was anything supernatural. True. So... <laughs> They were both like, no, that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely not. No. Impossible children, yes. Cloned children, no, that's crazy. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe we'll learn more as we segue into chapter 14, uh, which you'll want to read up for in time for next week. In the meantime, the Alberta Podcast Network... Powered by ATV. ...has a new program with its advertising partners, wherein they can actually donate some of their ad spots to amplify independent, nonprofit, and community podcasters. It's called Pod Power, and we would like to uh, take a moment to amplify some of those voices right now. Book Women. Book Women is a podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Hosts Tanya Ball, Sheila LaRock, and Kyla Larson are three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland. Now, they have banded together to chat books, culture, and anything else that comes up. Book Women has recently been added to Indian and Cowboys Podcast Incubator Program for emerging voices that contribute positively to the Indigenous podcasting space. You can listen and find out more at bookwomenpodcast.ca. Yeah, Book Women. Always good to hear more Indigenous voices in the podcasting sphere. And uh, for that matter, book-related, too. And we were just talking at the beginning of this episode about getting more, essentially, non-white voices uh, on this podcast. So maybe we should uh, also be hitting them up for some book suggestions. For sure. Yeah. 
Um, you can, of course, also check out all of the Alberta Podcast Network podcasts right now on the Alberta Podcast Network website. Yes, or the CKUA app. Yeah, they're all generously hosted there. Great place to uh, go check out a recent episode, get a little sampler pack. Absolutely. And uh, if you find one that you like, you can pretty much download it from your podcatcher of choice. Almost everyone broadcasts on almost everything nowadays, so your odds are pretty good. Uh, While you're at that podcatcher, I mean, we would appreciate a rating and a review. That that definitely helps us out, and we certainly appreciate any feedback that you're you're happy to give us. Oh yeah, I am all for constructive criticisms. Yeah, if you want to just drop us a line directly, you can do so on the social media. Yes, we have the standard selection, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads for us. Uh, if you want more words than that, you can send us an email. Yeah, the readalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we'll see you next time. Cloning is illegal, right? Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Goodreads.com.